So we're going to look at this parable today called the parable of the wedding party. And just to let you know, we've already looked at it. Some of you might remember that. Raise your hand if you think, well, didn't we already do this one? Raise your hand if you're thinking that. Okay, see, so I could preach the sermon next week too. Probably you wouldn't even know. Maybe I'll try that. Let's see what happens. Next week I'll preach the same sermon, see if anyone notices. But anyway, we did. We looked at the parable of the wedding feast. It was in conjunction with the prodigal son. It was all this party. Um, and it was Matthew's version. And Matthew's version is, is a much softer than, um, excuse me, Luke's version is much softer than Matthew's version. Today we're going to look at Matthew's version. And in Matthew's version, it's going to end with someone getting cast into a place that looks very much like hell, a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so it's a parable of judgment, and it's very harsh. And we're going to look at it today. Are you excited about that? <laughs> let's look at it. I think you will be when you get through it. Well, let's look at it. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. So first, let me do a little house business. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. You might be wondering, who's them? And then also, and again is an important word too. <laughs> and since we haven't been here in two weeks, um, let me back us up three weeks ago. Well, we've been here, but we, we haven't been in the parables for two weeks. Um, back up three weeks ago, we, we covered two parables, the parable of the two sons. One son said he wouldn't do it. The other son said he would, and then one didn't, and one did. And then afterwards, we, we looked at the parable of the, the vineyard owner who was trying to get his grapes back from the vineyard tenants, and they beat and killed his son. And then Jesus asked the Pharisees, because the Pharisees had asked him, by whose authority do you do these things? And he tells those two parables. And he ends that last parable by saying, I'm the capstone, the cornerstone, the stumbling block that's going to make everyone fall over or squish because I'm the king. It's my authority that I do these things, but I'm going to die and my death is going to save the world. And you're not going to believe that. You won't believe that. And then chapter 22, and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. So he's moving right along. He's still talking to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians, and he's trying well, he's not trying. He's already managed to tick them off. They're already looking at ways to kill him. And now he says, but before you go, before you actually go, let me tell you another parable. Is the kingdom of heaven may be compared to? So the first question and the last question we have to answer is, how does this parable or what does this parable teach us about the kingdom of heaven? Because Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like it's, it's a simile. The kingdom of heaven looks like this. And the first thing that I want us to see is the kingdom of heaven looks like a father. Someone say amen. God is our father. The kingdom of heaven looks like a father who wants to throw a big party for his son. Someone say amen again. We know that story, don't we? And so he goes and he invites all these people. And then he goes to the people that he invited and says, come, the party is ready. Stop right there. You see what the kingdom of heaven is like? It's like a father who wants to throw a party for his only son. That's good news. I want you to know before we move on that God is a party animal. Okay? God's about the party. He's always about the party. In fact, how many stories have we covered so far where Jesus is talking about a party? Can you even name them on all your hands? No, you can't. How many parties has Jesus been invited to in the Gospels? A lot. You can even say that Jesus is the life of the party at some of those parties, right? God is about, he's in the business of throwing big, bad parties. And when I say big, bad parties, I want you to think parties with biblical proportions, okay? Maybe think Xerxes, 
Remember the party he threw when we looked at Esther? In the book of Esther, he threw us, like, I forgot how many days it was, like a lot of days. 40 days? Sounds right. (laughs) A big, huge party. And also think of Revelation chapter 20-something or other. Isn't there going to be a big party there? A wedding feast of the Lamb of God and the bride, the church. Huge party. We see this in the heavens. So before we move on any further, I want you to know that God is in the business of throwing big, biblically proportioned parties. And he's in the business of inviting people to those parties. And he's inviting you. And I want you to see that today. Someone say amen. God is about the party. And you and I have been invited to that party. So the, but these people didn't want to go. Did you catch that? He invited them, and they said they didn't want to go. So verse, next verse. Again, he sent other servants, saying, tell those who were invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat cows have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. This is the second time that God the Father sends servants out to get people to come to his party, and this time he's bringing incentives. You see it? Like he brought the menu. Go and get those people that I invited and tell them what's on the menu. Tell them, give them a sample here. Let me cut this oxen for you. Make it little, little chunks with toothpicks in them. And take them to the people and say, taste this oxen. Taste this fat cow. It's, this is the party that the king has thrown. He wants you to come. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like that. Would you agree with me that God is in hot pursuit of people who are far from him? He invites them, and he's inviting them, and he's inviting them, and he's bringing incentives, and he's showing you what it tastes like, and he wants you to know what it feels like, and he can't wait for you to come in, and he wants you in. That's the gospel. God loves you, and he's bringing you into his party. Now, before we move forward, I want you to simmer on that just a little bit. Because you're going to be tempted to forget that when we get to the next few verses. The kingdom of heaven is about a God who loves his creation, and he invites us to this party, and he loves his son, and he's throwing a huge party for his son, and he wants you to come. And you and I are like, or us human beings, are like these guys who at first say no, and then, let me show you what they do on the second invitation. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. Whoa. So he sent them an invitation, come to my party. They said no. He goes back with tastes and samples of his party and says, please come to my party. And they say, well, I want you to see this word. First of all, it says that you probably see that I highlighted a phrase there, right? Um, It's the phrase, they paid no attention And it would be easy for us to kind of whip through that and not think of it. But in the original language, it's very strong. It's 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 not just oh they didn't pay attention. It's they well let me just show you what it says in the original in the original language. In the Greek, the word is emelasalasana, and this scholar says that it means to disregard, to reject, to care nothing for, not to give a flip about. You see, I'm quoting a scholar there. That's, those aren't my words on the screen. So these, these are, the Bible uses words sometimes that are harsher than the way we translate it in English because it's Sunday school words, right? But this word means they don't give a flip about his stinking party. Now, why did I put that on the screen? Because you just want to shock us? You just want to put a word on the screen? You know, because that's the way you are, Mike? You're, you like to shock us? Not at all. I think it's important 
for us to see how strong this word is, because would you agree there are people in this world who don't give a flip about Jesus and his party? Raise your hand if you know that. Okay, keep your hand up. Raise your hand if sometimes in your life you don't give a flip about Jesus and his party. Okay, so that's why it's important that we understand this, the strength of this word. It's extremely important. We don't give a flying whatever, right, <laughs> about Jesus and his party. Um, the Bible talks about this in different, different verses. For instance, in Hebrews, the author says, um, how shall we escape if we neglect, same Greek word there for neglect, if we don't give a flip about such a great salvation? How will we ever escape judgment if we don't care about the great salvation that God has given us? We can't not care. We've got to care. It's a big deal. And you told me yourself that you know friends, you have friends who are far from God. Here, here, here let, me, let me show you something else. It says they paid no attention. So there's the first part. Seems harmful enough, but it's not. They don't give a care. And then did you notice what happens? There seems to be like this progression. They go from not caring to treating them shamefully and then to killing them. In my life, I've met people whose attitude is like this. Don't you bring your religion crap in here. I don't want to hear about your Jesus and just go, you know where, with your Jesus stuff. Raise your hand if you have any friends like that. I hope you have friends like that. You need to have friends like that. You know what, if I could be honest, I've been like that. I've been a Christian my whole life, but there have been seasons in my life where I would have, if I could have, give God um, something, some finger gesture. Any, anyone else ever been there? <laughs> Good, I'm not alone. <laughs> I'm so angry with God, and then, and then God says, but Mike, and then I say, I don't care. I don't care about that right now. I'm doing this. I'm having my own fun. I want to go my way, and I'm tired of you getting in my way, God. And then God gets in your way. <laughs> lovingly, kindly inviting you. Come on, I have a party for you. You're running the wrong way. That's not the direction of the party. The party's over here. And then I've even gotten so mad that I've been hostile, not that I killed him, but that I was angry in my heart. So angry, I've done things like punched walls and, and driven fast on purpose and knowing that I was mad at God. Anyone else done that before? It's just me. Okay, driving fast, but not punching walls. Or doing self-destructive things, if I can be even more honest with you, being self-destructive primarily because I'm angry with God, because God's party I don't care about. I want something more on my own thing. You know what? You may be like that. If not now, maybe even later. And I want you to not to forget that God is about the party, and he's really inviting you to the party. He's not trying to get you away from the party. He's trying to get you to the party. And I also want to say this. You have friends, you have family members, you have co-workers, and don't you know that they need to know that God, that the kingdom of heaven is like a God who throws a party for his son, and he's inviting us to it, and he's giving us incentives, and he's begging us to come? That's why in the book of Revelation, it says, the spirit of the bride, and who's the bride? The church. The church says, come. We're just like God in this story where we go and say, come, come to the party. Let me give you some incentives. Here's a hot dog with some peanut butter on it. You know what I mean? This is what we have here at our block party. Now, I don't know why I said peanut butter, but with a um, hot dog with mustard on it. And here's what we do at our block party. Why did I say peanut butter? It sounds like a good idea, though, now that I think about it. A hot dog with peanut butter on it? I have peanut butter at home, but I don't have hot dogs at home. 
The spirit of the bride says, come and let the one who hears say, come. So if we heard it and we responded, now we have to say, come and come and come. We're inviting people to this party and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Someone say, amen. This is really good news. Even though there are people who, who repeatedly over and over again reject it and say, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't give a care about that. In fact, this Greek word is an imperfect tense verb, which means it's repetitive. God comes, we say no. God comes, we say no. God comes, we say no. God's asking, we say no. We say no. We say no. So these people progress from not caring to being shameful, keep treating them shamefully, to then killing them. And then we see the next verse here. Listen to this. The king was angry. Well, they, they killed his servants. Of course, he's angry. And he sent his troops to destroy those murderers and burn their city down. Wow. So let me just pause again and say this. Even though this story and Jesus starts the story by saying the kingdom of God is like a father who wants to throw a party, I need you to know that this isn't a mamby-pamby kind of a party with pretty napkins and doilies and such. That God's not a little wuss, okay? Yes, he throws parties and he throws manly big kinds of parties, but if you push him in the wrong direction, this is not a chick flick. This is blood and swords, and guts, and perfectly timed explosions. Did you see this? I invited you to my party. You didn't come, so I'm going to burn your city down. My kind of movie. Any guy in here want to say amen to that? I don't mind watching chick flicks with my wife if every once in a while, you know, there's a party, there's a wedding, they're looking at the colors of the dress, you know, is this going to match for my wedding? And then all of a sudden something blows up. You know, that would be cool. That's why the Bible's so awesome. The Bible's not mamby-pamby. This isn't hippy-dippy love. This is love. God loves, and he's inviting you to the party, but you've got only one choice. Come to the party <laughs> or die. <laughs> That's it. Now, <laughs> I need you to tell you this. Judgment comes after grace. Always, always, always judgment comes after grace. First, there's grace. I love you. I'm having a party. I'm inviting you to that party. You say no. Okay, I'm going to invite you again. You say no. I'm going to invite you again persistently until at one point you get, you cross a line. You get to a point to where you say, to heck with you, God, or whatever. And then judgment comes. That was perfect timing. Judgment comes. You see it? Always grace first, then judgment. If you can remember that, it will solve a lot of the problems you'll have as you're reading Scripture daily. And you say, but what about this verse? Grace first. Judgment comes, and in fact, judgment comes as a response to our lack of a response to his grace, always. Robert Capon says, even when Jesus speaks in judgment, which we're getting ready to see, he's careful, very careful to make grace sovereign over all. First, I'm going to save you. First, I love you. First, everyone's in first. Grace first. Judgment comes because of our response, our inappropriate response to his grace. It does not come because we make bad choices or we don't do the right things. It comes because we refuse his grace. We refuse his invitation. That's where judgment comes. All right. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. So go, therefore, to the main roads and to the highways and the byways and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads 
and gathered all whom they found, both, someone read those next two words, bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Jesus doesn't, he, you know, Jesus doesn't waste words, right? When he uses words, he uses them on purpose. He's not wasting his breath. And so when he says, and so the father said, go and grab anyone you can from the highways and the byways, both the bad and the good. And that's what Jesus has been saying in all these parables, right? The prodigal son, he was bad. He went and slept with prostitutes and spent all his money on pigs. I mean, gambling, right? And then rolling around with pigs. He was bad. Everyone who heard that parable would have known bad and the one son who stayed and milked the cows, he was good. But guess what? The bad one gets accepted, the good one not. The Pharisee who stands up, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this guy. I'm so good. I tithe and I care for the poor and I, and I read my Bible. <laughs> and then the tax collector who says, man, I'm a wicked, awful sinner. All I do is steal from people. God says, that man is justified before God. That man is not. All of Jesus' parables have been that way. Bad and the good. That's really good news. Someone say amen. It's good news. This, this is good news. The party's for the bad and the good. The good and the bad. And I don't know about you, but that makes me feel really good because I'm really bad. Let me just tell you how bad I am. I'm so bad, I don't even know why I do the things that I do. Like if I were to preach to myself, it would be a good sermon, but I don't listen to it. Like, even during these next past couple of weeks, it's Lent, right? I've been fasting and praying more than usually, and yet I'm still sinning. I'm still being bad in the midst of that. Here I am, oh, Lord, this is an excellent prayer, blah, blah, blah. And then I go and say something, and then I go and do something, and I'm like, man, what? Oh, who will set me free from this bondage of the flesh? I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do. And so when Jesus says, invite everyone to the party, both the good and the bad, I say, well, then maybe there's hope for me. Now, there might be someone good in this room. I'm looking around, though. <laughs> I'm thinking you're mostly like me. Every, just like that prayer, right? Every week I come to the table and confess the same thing that I need to confess again and again and again. I'm so bad. If I had to bet... Well, see, there you go again. I'm sinning. <laughs> if I had to gamble, I would gamble that every single one of you would agree with me. Right? You're bad, too. Someone say amen to that. Oh, good, because I hate being around a bunch of holier-than-thou. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is good news, isn't it? And, and can I just throw it at you one more time? You have friends that need to hear this. Because they think that church is for good people. And then they call you a hypocrite because you're not a good people. You're a bad people. In some ways, you're badder than they are. You really are. Because you, 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 you have a higher standard, but you don't meet it. <laughs> At least they have, you know, perhaps no standard. Sometimes they have even higher standards, I've, I've found. Your friends need to hear that the kingdom of heaven is like a God, a father who throws a party for a son and he's inviting everyone. And if those people won't go, he'll get any, everyone, including the bad and the good makes me happy that Jesus included this in his parable. All right, so real quick before we move on, what is the condition to getting into the party? Have you noticed it? 
What was that, sir? You have to accept the invitation. What did you say? Be willing to come. Call upon the name of the Lord, and you shall be saved, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Just come to the party. The only condition is that you've been invited, and everyone's been invited. And so the only condition then is, as both of you said, is to respond to that invitation and come. Won't you come? That's the condition. It's the only requirement. I need you to remember that, okay? The only requirement to the party is that you respond correctly to the invitation, and you come. So, but what about this part? But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, and by now you've learned that when Jesus uses the word friend, something bad's about to happen, <laughs> right? Because that word friend and Greek is like buster, right? Hey, buster. How did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now it feels like all that hippy-dippy lovey stuff you were talking about just went right out the window. Doesn't it? I'm willing to gamble. See, there I go again sinning. <laughs> I'm willing to gamble that probably every time you've read this story, you begin to get nervous and you begin to shake a little bit and you begin to put yourself as the character who just got bound hand and foot and thrown into the place for the sweeping of and gnashing of teeth. Am I right? You read this story and you're thinking, yay, God invites everyone to the party and he's inviting me to the party. Yay. And then, oh, I knew it. There's a trick. I knew there's a trick. And this guy obviously knew there was something, right? This guy didn't fit, didn't make the grade, wasn't wearing the right clothes, and that's going to be me. I'm the one who didn't make the grade. I'm the one who's not wearing the right clothes. Raise your hand if that's you when you read the Bible. When I read it, I think that too. I think, oh my goodness, I'm probably the beggar at the banquet. <laughs> this guy wasn't wearing the right clothes, which means he wasn't good enough, and I know I'm not good enough, so I don't like this story anymore. What does it mean? What does it mean? I don't know. You tell me. Here's a discussion question. How do you explain these last two verses? And there's the last two verses for those of you who needed to see them again. Uh, we're going to take about three and minutes and 28 seconds to, um, to discuss this at your table. How would you describe or explain these last two verses? You guys are all hitting on it. I'm glad that you are because no one has said what I've heard growing up. Um, which I'll tell you what it is. You've heard both of you, or maybe even three of you, say something to the extent of the, the, the garments are the righteousness of Christ, which is, I think, the right answer. If you look at the book of Revelation, we are all given a new robe. We are all put on um, this righteousness, which is Christ. Paul says, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians, he says, we put on Christ like a righteous garment. And so when God, you've heard, you know, preachers say this before, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees Christ because you put on Christ. You are clothed in Christ's righteousness. The Bible says that all over the place. But there are also some other verses, just a few in the Bible, that suggest that, right, that, that, that clothing signifies works. Um, in the book of Revelation, for instance, it says something like these martyrs received a special kind of robe, which was the righteous works of the saints. 
And so then you've got some, I've heard some preachers say, this guy got in, but he didn't have works which evidenced his faith, and therefore he went to hell. And that only made it harder for me to understand the parable. And, I, and so I heard, I heard a trick, right? I heard grace and then a trick of judgment. Not grace, 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 and then judgment, if and only if you refuse to receive the grace. So it's one of my professors at Dallas Seminary, his name's Alan Ross, he says, we have to say that the proper attire attire would correspond to all that Jesus said was required for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Whatever this is, it can't contradict what the rest of the parable, because when you read the parable, you're like, oh, what? Everyone comes in, comes in, comes in, everything's fine, and all of a sudden this guy gets thrown out because he's not wearing the right clothes? That doesn't make any sense. So whatever it is, whatever it is that these clothes mean, it has to correspond to what he's already made clear is the requirements of entrance into this kingdom of heaven. And that is, he says, repentance, true repentance from sin and faith in Christ Jesus. You receive the gift, you receive the invitation, and you come in and you you believe that you're coming into this party. This party is for Jesus, and you're there for Jesus, and you're there wearing Jesus' righteousness. In the ancient world, um, think about this, if this king... We didn't have to think about the ancient world. We could just use our brains. Um, if this king invited the beggars to the party, how many beggars have a tuxedo stuck away somewhere? None. I don't know of any, except for that one beggar who only wears a tuxedo. And so what normally would happen, and we can assume is happening in this parable, is he provides gowns for everyone to put over themselves so that the party is splendid for his son. But then there just happens to be one person who's not wearing the gown. And it's very noticeable, you know, God the Father's not looking around with the you know, magnifying glass and saying, oh, your nails or, or what. He's just, it's obvious. Look, you're not, you're not even, how did you get in here without the appropriate wedding gown? How did you get in here? Because everyone came through this way, and as they were coming through this one way, the righteousness of Christ was being placed on them. There's only one way in, right, through Christ. And when you come in through Christ, you get the righteousness. How did you get in here without that? See what I'm saying? So because he doesn't have the righteousness of Christ, he gets thrown out. The banquet, Ross goes on to say, is the celebration of those who enter the kingdom, and the exclusion is the judgment of God for those who reject the invitation of grace. So somehow this guy rejected the gift of righteousness. We can't push the parable too far and say he said he didn't want it, or he said, no, I don't need that. I look fine, right? I look fine enough. I don't need that stupid robe. I don't need Christ's righteousness. I have my own righteousness would be a way that we could put it in English. Those who refuse, that is, some people think about this. I think there are two kinds of people who refuse God's invitation. Some of them violently oppose Christ. No, I don't give a flip. And some of us pretend to be in Christ. Am I right? Either, what, either, either you're, you're an enemy of God or you're a poser. See, I think there's three kinds of people in this story. There's the enemies of God. He's, he's invited them to the party, and they said no, and they killed his servants, and then he killed them. And then there's the ones who, in grace, get invited to the party and say, yeah, I want some of that oxen. I want some of that fat cow. Get me in there. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. It's the king's party for his son, and I want to be there. And then there's people who, they're just posers. 
They can say the right things. They can act the right way, but they don't know Jesus. They're not there for Jesus. They're not there, they're not, they're not there to put on the righteousness of Christ. They're there to, for themselves, for selfish reasons. And that's how I take this parable. Robert Capon says this, Salvation is not by works, and the heavenly banquet is not an option. We are saved only by our acceptance of a party already in progress, and God has paid for that party at the price of his own death. And since he counts only those two things, that's only faith and only grace, nothing else counts outside of the party. There is no life at all. When you come in, do you have faith? Will you receive my grace? If you have faith and you receive my grace, you're in. If you try any other way outside of that, you're out. You're out. There is, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To those who are wearing Christ Jesus, you would come to the party, bad and good. There is nothing, no height, no depth, no width, no breadth that can separate us from the love that is in the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Nothing. If you're in there with that, no one's no one's kicking you out of the party. But if you're in there for any other reason, then you're not in Christ. You're not in Christ, and you don't have the righteousness of Christ. Because I want us to see that the first seven or eight or nine or ten verses of this parable is all about God's love. He's throwing a party. He's inviting everyone in. People reject. He gets them. He invites even the good and the bad in. And the only part of the story that trips us up is that last part. And it's a part where Jesus is saying, there's only one way into heaven, and that's through me. That's through Christ. It's through my righteousness. I bestow the righteousness. Anyone who comes in here with other, anything else, any, their own righteousness, then no. You don't get in. It is a parable of judgment, but the judgment goes to those who reject his grace. The judgment goes to those who reject his free gift of grace. See, the more and more and more, these past couple of years, I have been, I have grown. Like, I, I, I used to be um, confused about things. You know, it's like, I, I, I believe in grace, I believe in faith alone, but I also, I hear all this talk about how do you try harder and do better and be gooder, and I've always felt confused by that. The more and more and more that I've studied these past couple of years, the more and more I say, it's grace. It's grace. Grace first, grace first, grace first. Judgment only goes to people who say, to heck with grace. I'm going to get in the party my own way. God says, no, you're not. You forgot that the only way in is through my son. This is my, this is my son's party. If you, are you here for Jesus or are you here for the oxen? One, one pastor said it like this, have you given Jesus your life or just your afterlife? I mean, do you really love Jesus, or do you just want to go to the party? My, one of my favorite people, Rich Mullins, I've been listening to him a lot. I've been reacquainted with him during Lent for some reason. He said in an interview that I always remembered and I love, he says, he says, the thing that I've really realized is that my salvation really has very little to do with, my, with the choices that I've made. Um, when I entered into a covenant with God, he remained faithful to that covenant whether I was or not. So my testimony would be just that God is faithful and that he would go to any lengths to draw us to himself. I, 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 I often hear that in my head. When I entered into a covenant with God, he kept his part of the deal, whether I did or not. He says, I love you. I love you, whether you prove that you love me or not. You're invited to this party. I'll go through great lengths to get you to this party. I will die for you to get you to this party. Yeah, but I'm a messed up, jacked up sinner. I know. I so, I so know, but I love you. It's my covenant that matters, not your mistakes or your 
goodness. <laughs> None of that matters to me. What matters is that you enter into the one way. Why? What's the one way? Through my son, Jesus Christ, who I gave to the world to die for all the sins of the world. And if you come in that way, yeah, you're going to mess up. Your whole life is going to be a mess, to tell you the truth. Even if you, once you think you got it together, someone say amen to this, is whenever it falls apart. I love Richard Mullins. He says, you know what? I got to the point where I had to say that my mistakes, I can't even call them mistakes because I did them on purpose. My choices is not, they won't separate me from God. Neither height nor depth nor width nor breadth can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us. Father in heaven, I thank you for this, this, this parable. So many times it's tripped me up. So many times I've felt, oh no, I'm going to get thrown into hell because I'm not a good guy, because I make a lot of mistakes, and because I make a lot of bad choices, and because I know I'm not wearing the right clothes, and because I, I know that at times I'm a poser. I don't love Jesus enough. I don't pray enough. I don't sing loud enough. I don't give enough of my money, enough of my time. I don't care about the poor. I don't care about anyone but myself most of the time. I confess those as sins. They are sin, and I'm not proud of them at all. But because they exist in me, I often think I'm a beggar at the banquet. I'm so thankful that this story actually teaches us that the only way into the banquet is by your grace. And the only way that we can be sure that we are in that banquet is if we just accept the grace and nothing else. Lord, I accept your grace. I lean on your grace because there's nothing else I could lean on. That's all I got. If you have, if there's some other way that I'm supposed to get in, I'm not getting in. But if it's grace alone and faith alone in Christ, I will bet my life on that. I pray we all will. I pray we'll tell our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers the same good news. We'll pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.